Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. We're glad you're along for the ride. I'm David Brody. It's Thursday, March 11th, 2021. And the Democrats' liberal onslaught continues because today... Democrats are doing their best to whittle away at the Second Amendment. They passed the Background Checks Act, which basically out or I should say puts in place new background check requirements for gun transfers between private parties. So right now, if you're an unlicensed or private seller, you're not required to conduct a background check for gun transfers. And also they passed a bill that would increase the amount of time you have to wait to receive a background check. So basically it goes from three days to 10 days. We're going to have more on all of that in a moment. Also today, I hope Joe Biden is taking a afternoon nap because he's going to need it. He addresses the nation in prime time tonight. He's going to talk about the one year mark of COVID. He's going to look back. He's going to look ahead. And let me guess, there's going to be absolutely no mention of how it was the Trump administration under Operation Warp Speed that made so much of a difference in terms of how far we've become. That's not going to be in his speech tonight. I can bet the house Also, Andrew Cuomo, his residence in the doghouse, getting more permanent. There he is. We put him there. America's putting him there. Democrat lawmakers in New York are now putting him there. Yet another woman has come forward with a story of how the New York governor groped her in the governor's mansion. You've got now 55 Democratic lawmakers in New York, and they're now asking him to resign. At this point, Cuomo is still doing the old New York line. Forget about it. What's the big deal? Hey, look. Calling Joe Biden, calling top national Democrats, calling the hashtag MeToo movement. Where are you? Where are you? Your silence and hypocrisy on Andrew Cuomo is absolutely sickening. You love to talk about morality, and yet you let this guy slide. I mean, what's it going to take? Are we going to have to go into double digits on sexual harassment claims? Are we going to have to have another nursing home death crisis in this country? And you preach about morality, folks. That's like the cartoon character Fat Albert preaching about losing weight. All right? Let's move on. I want to begin today with the Democrats' background check bill. Republicans, as you might imagine, see this as an infringement on the Second Amendment. Thank you, Chairman Biggs. You know, as a federally licensed gun store owner, I have a unique perspective on our Second Amendment rights. And I actually happen to know how background checks actually work. It seems that H.R. 8 is being sold as universal background checks. And it would impose harsh penalties like six-figure fines and jail time for the simple act of handing a firearm to another person, even for temporary use, like instruction. The exemptions under H.R. 8 are woefully inadequate to protect the the rights of uh, law-abiding gun owners. Let's say that you loan your firearm to a victim of domestic violence because their abuser is just getting ready to be released from jail. Or if a, a suicidal friend asks you to take possession of their firearm. Or if you loan your cousin a gun after a series of 
burglaries in their neighborhood. These new transfer penalties would turn law-abiding citizens into criminals. We simply cannot sacrifice our rights by passing laws that will make our families less safe and laws that criminals will simply ignore. We must always protect and preserve our God-given Second Amendment rights. I yield back. I thank the gentleman. Some applause there at the end. Did you notice Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene behind them? I bet you they had a few things to say about the gun legislation. As for Democrats, they're touting how today's vote was bipartisan. And indeed, eight Republicans voted for it. Democrats didn't want to talk too much about the Second Amendment on the House floor. Today, they went with a motion. I've heard from my colleagues on the other side of the aisle about rights. Let's talk about some other rights in this country, like the right to pray in church, the right to dance at a party, the right to come home from a concert, the right to come back home safely and alive. Those are rights that matter too. And I am for this because I think about a mother who told me a couple years ago to keep fighting on this issue because every day when she puts her children in the car and sends them off to school, before they get out of the car, she closes her eyes to remember what they were wearing because she was afraid that one day she may have to identify them. This bill says we don't have to live that way anymore. The right to come home alive is greater than any right that is being put forward by the other that's right. He said put forward by the other side. Uh, the bill passed today by the House. It now goes over to the Senate. By the way, it's not expected to pass over there because Democrats, they're going to need 60 votes to get it through. And there's no way they are getting 10 Republican senators. All right. Uh, let's discuss the Second Amendment issue more now with uh, Teresa Mole, editor of Gunpowder Magazine. Teresa, we're really great. Uh, we're really glad you're with us today on the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, let me start with this. You know, we've seen the First Amendment under attack in America, now the Second Amendment. Where are we heading in America right now? What's your take on all of this? Well, it's not looking good with so many Democrats in control with Biden at the helm and Kamala Harris, who is very outspoken opponent of the Second Amendment. Um, but what we saw this past year especially has been um, kind of a bright spot for the Second Amendment, I would say. We've seen a record number of um, Americans purchase guns. And um, it's even coming from uh, people traditionally who are anti-gun from the left are realizing that, you know, we're living in a scary time with so many mandates, with the riots that we saw this summer. Um, so it's just with all this uncertainty, we see people flocking to guns, not away from them because they want to be able to protect themselves and their families. So despite all of this um, gun control that's trying to, you know, the Democrats, liberals are trying to ram through at the federal level and at the state level, we are also seeing um, an equal number of pro-gun uh, bills coming coming out of the states and um, we are seeing pushback also at the federal level. So, you know, Americans, especially minorities and women who um, traditionally tend to vote for Democrats, they, they want their guns and they're going to do what they can to get them and keep them. So mm -hmm. liberals might, you know, they might be having a moment, but I don't think it's going to last. And I think they're going to encounter pushback from Americans who want to take care of themselves. Yeah, Teresa, you make a really good point, And it's a great story idea. Madison, we got to do that story about uh, the increase in gun sales and, and, and the increase of folks that have guns in this country based on, let's be honest, what's happening in America. Uh, today. I think there's a lot of concern about that. Uh, also, you mentioned uh, uh, 
gun laws, uh, basically uh, pro-Second Amendment laws, if you will, uh, around the country. There's one in North Carolina, I know, making its way through the legislature there. It says uh, here, a headline, North Carolina gun bill lets concealed permits be armed, uh, permit, permittees, excuse me, be armed at more churches. What's going on there in North Carolina, Teresa? Yeah, so in North Carolina, it's kind of a middle of the road as far as gun rights go. It's not the best state for gun owners, but it's not too terrible. It's not like a New York or California or anything like that. So currently, you are allowed to have a gun concealed in a church if, you know, your pastor in the church is okay with that. Um, so what this bill would do would actually expand it so that um, right now, you, you can have a gun at church, but not if there's a school attached to the church. So this would expand um, you to be able to have a gun at church, even if there is a school and it's considered a campus, so long as the school is not in session. And if, again, the church and school are okay with that. So um, it's just, you know, these baby steps to expand gun rights and pastors and parishioners have been calling for this. You know, we've seen um, shootings at uh, places where people are, they're considered gun-free zones, but of course we know that oftentimes they're not free of guns if you're a criminal because criminals don't obey laws. Um, that's the definition of a criminal. Yeah. So um, we see that 98% of mass shootings have taken place at gun-free zones. And we saw, um, you know, we see these taking place at churches, at schools. So these are places that need more guns, not fewer guns, to combat these these um, heinous criminals who come in and prey upon people who are just basically sitting ducks because they know yeah. that they won't have guns to shoot back. Teresa, I want to play some. Uh, yesterday we had Rick Green on the show, America's Constitution coach over the Patriot Academy. Uh, he, he talked about this background guns, uh, background check, if you will, for, for guns. And he, he said, you know, this is ridiculous because if someone is in need of a gun and they can't get it, uh, and he gave a scenario of what would happen. Uh, so I want you to listen to this and then get your reaction about back, uh, background checks overall on the other side. Here, here he is. You implement H.R. 8, for instance. Uh, let's say that, that, that I've got a young lady in my neighborhood that's been through my firearms course. She's, she's trained. She's capable. Uh, she knows how to use that firearm. She hasn't, doesn't have one yet. And she gets threatened by an ex-boyfriend who says he's coming over and he's going to take care of her in the next day. Well, if she comes to me and asks for a firearm, I'm not allowed to sell her one under, under this law. If, if she goes to uh, the store to buy one, she's got to wait 10 days. And in that 10 days, the threat on her... Uh, it's going to be too late. And so that's why these laws just simply do not work. They don't stop the criminal, but they do create real problems with the law-abiding citizen being able to defend themselves. So I want to get your reaction about background uh, checks, because I know that the Democrats always talk about how, you know, they're pretty popular in America, that they should be expanded. But I want to get your take on that. We have about 40 seconds left or so. Okay, yeah, I agree with that 100%. You know, you think about who obeys laws, and it's the law-abiding people. A criminal is not going to say, hey, I want to go shoot my ex-girlfriend. I'm mad at her. Let me make sure I go and acquire a gun in the proper way, and let me, you know, <laughs> go right. through all the steps before I commit a crime. No, they're not going to do that. The people who are going to do that are the law-abiding ones, and they're the ones who need to protect themselves. And we have seen cases like this, unfortunately. There was a case just like um, that gentleman just described where a woman was in fear for her life, and she went and applied to get her permit to get a gun and it was delayed we have a background check system in place and it's not working ask anyone who's ever been to the post office how efficient the government is and how good they are at their job they're <laughs> not known for being efficient so she had to wait and in that time that she was waiting she was actually shot and killed because yeah. she had to wait for a background check and the person who killed her likely either you know did not go through a background check or you know um, right. they just, just got a gun some other way and yeah
Yeah. yeah. Background well, checks don't work. <laughs> for, for sure. Uh, Teresa Moll, really appreciate your time. Great insight. Editor of GunpowderMagazine.com. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Uh, coming up next on the show, we're going to talk about Andrew Cuomo. Come on. <clears throat> How many sexual assault and or harassment allegations does it take to get him to step down from his throne in New York? Jerry Kasser, New York State Conservative Party chairman, is with us next. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, Andrew Cuomo still sitting on the throne of New York. He's the king of New York. Yeah, whatever. No, he's not. Uh, how many, how many uh, scandals is it going to take in New York? Ten? Do we have to go to double digits? That's my big question uh, with uh, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, the New York Post, as you might imagine, uh, has been after Cuomo for a while. More than 55 New York Democrats, by the way, uh, call on Andrew Cuomo to resign amid scandals. That obviously is a huge deal when, when the Democrats, your own party, is turning against you. Here's, what, here's some of what they had to say. Uh, this, the statement from Cuomo's fellow Democrats cited uh, both the spiraling sexual harassment allegations against him and the cover-up of the total nursing home death toll and said that, quote, he has lost the confidence of the public and the state legislature, rendering him ineffective in this time of most urgent need. It goes on to say, we have a lieutenant governor who can step in and lead for the remainder of the term, and this is what is best for New Yorkers in this critical time. It's time for Governor Cuomo to resign. And let's, uh, with that, let's uh, bring in uh, Jerry Nasser, who is with, uh, obviously, uh, up there in New York, the uh, Chairman of the State Conservative Party, Jerry. Always great to see you, sir. Good to see you. Uh, where are where's where are we on this? What you're in New York? You you've got your finger on the pulse. What's ha what's happening? What can we expect here, Jerry? Well, let me just say this: those 55 would be joining 100. Uh, excuse me, 63 GOP senators and assemblymen to make a number of 118, which happens to be a majority of the New York State Legislature. Of course, uh, the Democrats have a history in the state of repressing uh, anyone who doesn't agree with them. So even or even when you agree with them often. But right now, a majority of the New York state legislature believes the governor should either resign or be impeached. Now, right now, uh, right now, as you and I are talking, the Democratic conference of the state assembly is meeting for one explicit person purpose to discuss the status of the governor. And this comes in light of last yesterday's, uh, uh, you know, bombshell charge that uh, that the governor has subjected a staff member to aggressive groping, you know, frankly, a crime. It's a sexual assault. It's not a sexual harassment, sexual assault. He obviously has denied it. But there is a clear uh, belief that there's credibility here. And I think uh, that this I think the scales have tipped. They've tipped against the governor, even among his most loyal uh, individuals. The, the talk up here in New York is that the governor's people are looking for an exit strategy, and we will know soon. Yeah. So you say the scales have tipped. Is that because of this latest one that kind of gets into potential cr criminal uh, involvement, sexual uh, assault? Yes, in my opinion, that is correct. 
Okay. Uh, so, so here's my big question, and I guess, you know, we have this latest allegation, the, the assault allegation, but just overall, Jerry, uh, how do I say this? What in the world? I mean, how, how is Cuomo still governor of New York with a Democrat party and the hashtag Me Too movement, and if this was a Republican, there would be pickets outside his office and they would be dragging him, kicking and screaming from office if it was a Republican I mean governor? I mean, the hypocrisy here among Democrats is incredible. Gillibrand is the primary example of a person who talked about this issue left and right, left and right in D.C., and now does not want to talk about it here. Schumer's the majority leader, and he's always looking for another conversation. And the state legislature has been weak from day one, giving the governor every imaginable power uh, to, to just make uh, his life, his world more powerful, and their world uh, just something they lay back in and... Uh, you know, allow the cards to fall wherever they fall. People, Democrats in New York State, do not take responsibility. They are now being forced to take responsibility by the general public, by advocacy groups. Certainly the nursing home scandal, which somehow falls uh, to the back on some of these conversations, you know, that's another criminal investigation where the governor's highest ranking staff person has admitted to a group of state legislators to be part of a cover-up. Right. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. Well, and to, to me, I mean, that, that's reason alone to, to, to kind of go there, if you will. Uh, and all of this other sexual harassment stuff is just, it's just unbelievable. So, so, Jerry, what, at this point, what can lawmakers do? You talked about the numbers, the majority there. I mean, what, do they have, what's the recourse? I mean, what, what so can they do? This is my view. My view is that we're getting to a point where the two legislative leaders are going to be representing conferences that will privately deliver a no confidence vote to the governor so that the governor recognizes that he really cannot govern anymore because the two legislative leaders, Democrats in this case, well, who are also joined by the two Republican leaders, are saying we can't work with you anymore. The state Senate majority leader said that on Sunday. The speaker came close to saying that on Sunday, but did not. Today could change all that. And um, that's how I think he goes. I mean, he doesn't walk in to a press conference at 9 a.m. tomorrow and say, I'm resigning. But, uh, but a pathway becomes evident um, with the lieutenant governor beginning to play a bigger role. Something else you should know. Um, the lieutenant governor is kept out of all the decision-making processes in New York State. She basically would be the one person who needs to take over the government that probably absolutely has no idea what's going on in the government. Mm -hmm. If you know, we, we hear about this in other states that lieutenant governors do not play a major role, but Andrew Cuomo is notorious for not wanting anyone other than himself, including his lieutenant governor, even know what's going on. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. we we have some real future concerns here about this state when he goes. Right. So, Jerry, just a, less than a minute left, but uh, I, the way Cuomo operates, I mean, wh why doesn't he just, uh, may maybe he just won't go anywhere. He'll just say, you know what, I'm done. I, I get it, but I'm just not going to run for another term and just leave it at that. It, it could, could that be a scenario here? That's what he wants, I'm I, sure. That is what he wants. I think it's becoming less and less a scenario. I think the window on that is closing with these uh, continuous charges. Um, I would say this to you. There, there, there is a pattern that's developed here, and the pattern makes you feel that something else is going to drop tomorrow or the day after. Remember this. He actually knows what he did. Right. And so he actually knows what else can come out. And I would suspect 
there's a lot more that it will come out. Yeah, Jerry Kasser, uh, New York State Conservative Party chairman. You know, J Jerry, you, you come on, you tell it like it is. You're a straight shooter. You're from New York. Yeah, it's in Brooklyn. That's how we talk in Brooklyn. That's how you so, talk hey, in thank Brooklyn. You. All right, thank you. Jerry Kasser, uh, complete with the Brooklyn accent and the Brooklyn uh, attitude. And I say that with a positive, I'm saying that in a positive way, by the way, because you don't mess around. Uh, with people from Brooklyn. All right, when we come back, we've got Pastor Brian Gibson on the show. He's a founder of Peaceably Gather. I've got to tell you, we've had Brian on the show before. Uh, he was at, at a rally in Arizona about election integrity. Am I going to say the words? Uh, here I go again. Was it a rigged election? Oh my gosh, big tech, I'm sorry. Was it a rigged election? A lot of people still think so. I know you have a scarlet letter. If you think that, we'll talk about it in a moment. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. We're going to talk about election integrity. Uh-oh, here we go. Who's rolling? Is Jack Dorsey and the Twitter uh, Big Brother Police going to roll on this segment? What, are you going to ban me? Come on, bring it on. What do I care? Uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about election integrity. You know what I'm also going to say? I'm going to say this word. I'm going to say it straight up. Rigged. Now, hold on. Hold on. Don't, don't ban me yet. Okay? I said the word rigged. Here's the deal. There's a lot of folks that believe the election was rigged. Now, what do I... Hold on, Jack Dorsey. What do I mean by rigged specifically? I'm talking about state legislatures who never got a say in the process about changing many of these election laws that were changed beforehand. 2020, as it relates to mail-in balloting, had a bunch of bureaucrats doing some things that uh, many felt were unconstitutional. I didn't bring up dead voters. There were. I didn't bring up uh, some of these folks, uh, you know, legal citizens voting. There were that, too. I'm talking about the process before 2020 election took place, FYI. We can talk about a lot of other stuff. Anyhow, let's bring in uh, Pastor Brian Gibson, uh, shall we? Uh, founder of Peaceably Gather. Uh, Pastor Gibson, always great to have you on the show, sir. Hey, David, thanks so much for having me. And what you just said is the absolute truth about all of these state laws bypassing uh, what, what the Constitution says about, about voter law, right? It's got, it's got to pass with the state legislator. And, and a lot of these bypass that process and ne that never had its day in court. So I think a lot of Americans have questions uh, ab about that, right? It, it, it looks like a clear violation of the Constitution, and it was never dealt with. So I have questions about that. Well, but I, don't ban me yet, right? Don't ban me yet. No, Please, no, you, or, you know what? Let's, or, go to, or, good. let's go together. You know, we're going to be banned. Come on, let's just come on. Let's just go. Let's, let's just go. Look, Pastor Gibson, here's the thing, right? So with these states... Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, you know, everybody talks about rigged election. Look, people just want a fair election. I mean, they changed the rules of the game at the last moment and, ha and, and never let a good crisis go to waste, right? They took a crisis, and there you had it. I mean, they took COVID and said, you know what? Let's bring in mail-in ballots for everybody. You're sitting at home, uh, you know, watching uh, the Real Housewives or whatever with Doritos on your, on your uh, whatever, on, I guess on your shirt. And they said, here, here's a mail-in ballot for you. We're just going to deliver it right to your house. I mean, what is that? No, it's, it's changing the game midstream. It's moving the goal lines. Uh, I remember playing Nintendo, right? When I was a kid, my older brother had Atari. We had Nintendo. You're dating We got yourself. Mario Brothers. Yeah, and Duck Hunt was awesome, right? But if you started <laughs> beating one of these guys, they'd push the reset button. 
So they just hit reset. And then you got to start all over, even though you could be winning. And we can't have a, an electoral system where we hit reset in the middle of the game. It won't work. And eventually, uh, that's going to cause America a lot of problems. And so mm -hmm. all of the, the lack of ID, come on, a kid can't buy a pack of smokes, now that they should, and I call them an 18-year-old kid. Uh, they can't buy a beer. They can't register for things. They can't buy, you know, you can't get a hotel room without an ID, but you can elect the leader of the free world without one. It's insanity. Yeah. So you're you're out there in Arizona uh, this week. Uh, tell us a little bit what you're doing there, because it has to do with election integrity and about these Arizona Board of Supervisors. There's a big rally uh, that, that you took place in. I know a lot of people are concerned about what happened in Arizona specifically. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of noise out of Arizona, specifically Maricopa County, since the beginning. Uh, last night I was at a rally, thousands of people there. Uh, it, it was uh, we, I think it's we the people of Arizona Alliance. We the people of Arizona Alliance put it on, and I, I was shocked to see the response. And so, uh, uh, you know, you know what happened. I think a lot of the viewers do. Uh, a judge ruled that these ballots can be audited. Uh, by by the state senate, and, and so right now it's going through that process. Uh, also, they're they're wanting a recall on the committee uh, mm -hmm. that that oversaw the election, and so these these are supposed to be audited. Now, I think the million dollar question out there for everybody is is what firm will audit the the votes? Who does the counting? Who looks at it? Because we all know it doesn't matter who votes, right? Mm -hmm. It matters who counts, mm -hmm. and it matters who audits. So. So who is up for this task and who would both sides trust in the process? That's the question, yeah. David. Yeah. Pastor, we are at an inflection point in America. I mean, if you say the words that I said at the beginning of, the, uh, of this segment, uh, I said election integrity. That was okay. But then I said the word rigged. And if you go down that road and you question some of what happened in 2020, you got a scarlet letter. You got a scarlet letter right there on you, and you're like ostracized from society if, if the big tech had their way and the liberal media had their way. So where are we from a spiritual and kind of a cognitive state here in America of what in the world is going on? Well, from a spiritual standpoint, it's dark, right? Whenever, whenever people lose their speech in a land, Darkness is coming and it's rising. So we're in a dark time in America. Uh, the, really, the, the voice of the church has been attacked to be silenced, the voice of the gospel. And now even if you'll just stand up and say, hey, uh, maybe, not even it's a, maybe not even on Christian values, but just on ethics and trust and truth, uh, they want to shut you down. They want to turn you off. Uh, I cannot believe after watching whenever Donald Trump was elected, for three years, throughout the whole process, they scream Russian collusion. This mm -hmm. was rigged. There was interference. All right. So the Democrats got to scream that throughout the whole term of, of, uh, of President Trump's uh, presidency. But now if somebody asks, hey, let's look into this, uh, let's check it out because mm -hmm. you're a bad guy. Now, mm -hmm. I believe you have to have a just measure, a just scale. The Bible says God told the Jewish people, if you have a just measure or a just scale, you'll live long in the land. But if your process isn't equal, if it isn't just, man, man, real trouble's coming. So, yeah, it's, it's dark, David, and uh, I'm praying for light to hit this situation. For sure. As we wrap up here, Pastor Gibson, where's the hope? You know, people want to see uh, light at the end of the tunnel. What, what's, the, what's the message of hope here, not just for America, but maybe also with the politics that is going on today? What we've seen from the Biden administration, I mean, it's like a liberal smorgasbord run uh, crazy. It's like crazy train here in, in D.C., 
Yeah, well, the message of hope for me is always Jesus and uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? Death, burial, and resurrection. Believe on that, there's hope. But uh, let's look at it from just a natural perspective. I think uh, that as these policies are put in place, Mm -hmm. the land will grow darker. The economy is going to get worse. We're going to have all sorts of trouble. So I know that sounds negative. But what that does uh, historically and biblically is it wakes a people up. Mm. So I believe that even though these things are happening, it's setting the stage for what could be the greatest revival in American history because mm. the light can only show up in the midst of the darkness. So, mm. so yeah, we've got a president that doesn't know where he is. He has terrible policies, yeah. but I declare light's coming, Dave. All right, Pastor Brian Gibson, uh, just straight shooter. Appreciate you. Thank you, Pastor. Hey, thank you, sir. It was an honor. All right. Uh, and he's right about Biden. I mean, he's got a big speech tonight, right? Eight o'clock primetime, number one. He's got to have a nap. I, I mean, clearly, if he doesn't have a nap, what is this going to look like? It's going to be Meltdown City. Back in a moment. Get- Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, have you heard what's happening in the state of Arkansas? Uh, let's uh, let's put that up on the screen, shall we? The new a new Arkansas law sets up a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade, banning all abortions in Arkansas except for the health of the mother. Even cases of rape and incest uh, would be um, part of this law. It would not be there would not be an exception. So it is a uh, provocative for sure, and it really does set up a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade. I want to talk more about that with uh, Mary Sock, uh, director of the Center for Human Dignity at the Family Research Council. Mary, great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Mary, we've we've been seeing these type of strong pro-life laws all around the country. Uh, Arkansas clearly going uh, full throttle ahead. What does this mean specifically uh, as it relates to a potential challenge down the road for, for Roe v. Wade? Well, as you said, Arkansas is by no means an outlier in, in bringing forward pro-life legislation this year. We've seen over 60 pieces of pro-life legislation introduced in states across the country. And I think this reflects the will of the American people. Americans do not believe that Roe v. Wade was correctly decided. They want restrictions placed on abortion and and various states have passed laws doing so of course arkansas is a leader in passing this abortion ban following alabama doing a very passing a very similar bill, piece of legislation um, and i think that we'll see more and more pro-life legislation pass as the year goes on hopefully one of these pieces of legislation is taken up by the supreme court and and we do see a change in the Roe v. Wade decision. Yeah, and so basically that's the strategy right here, right? Because the governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, uh, basically said, look, here you go, Supreme Court or federal courts, ultimately the Supreme Court, we want you to take this case. It's like they're begging the Supreme Court to take this on, and uh, that, that's kind of the strategy, right? Absolutely, and Roe v. Wade has been out of touch with Americans' beliefs since it was decided. In 1975, a Gallup poll showed that over 70% of Americans believe that there should be significant restrictions on abortion. And that 70% threshold, it's been, it's been consistent since then that over 70% of Americans believe there should be significant restrictions on abortion. This law reflects that, and we're, we're looking for the Supreme Court to take it. We have a 6-3 majority right now in the Supreme Court. Um, and, and we're hoping that they decide to overturn Roe v. Wade. 
Yeah, though I, though I would like to say as I smile when I say this, but John Roberts, okay, whatever. Don't get me started. But we'll, we'll see about John Roberts. But still, 5-4, right? I mean, there, is, there are solid conservatives on the court. Um, Mary, I want to put up a tweet by uh, Jason Rappert, uh, one of, an Arkansas state senator who's running for lieutenant governor. This is what he said. The United States was birthed in 1776, but for 87 years, slavery was legal in our country. Thank God our nation and Republicans fought to abolish slavery, even though the U.S. Supreme Court had upheld it. They finally relented. Today, we in Arkansas proudly stand to abolish abortion. I mean, I think it's a great point. It's, it's this idea of continuing to, to fight, and, and especially from a technology standpoint, right, with these 4D ultrasounds and all of this. I mean, the, it seems like, unlike same-sex marriage, which has gone the other way in polling and, and, and research, not, not research, but polling, on the life issue, it's much different. The science is very clear. And, and we are so grateful to Senator Rapert for his work on this legislation, as we are to Representative Mary Bentley for her work on it. Their efforts are what, what put this past the, the finish line. And, and both of them recognized the humanity of the unborn child, that from the moment of conception, that unborn child is a human being. And, and as you mentioned, the 4D ultrasound shows this very clearly, very early on. The ability to detect the fetal heartbeat earlier and earlier. Babies are viable at, at earlier and earlier stages in pregnancy. Science has come so far since 1973. We need to change our laws to reflect the fact that an unborn child is a person from the moment of conception. Yeah, and you know, I wonder, uh, Mary, if you can kind of maybe give me an update, you know, not to get into the numbers, but I understand there are, what, 19 state legislatures that have introduced, uh, I guess, a total of more than, four, or about 48 bills, maybe more uh, from a pro-life, you know, trying to uh, curtail abortion, ban abortion uh, in each state. So, I mean, th this is a, this is a, a nationwide effort. It, it really seems like the pro-life movement stronger than ever uh, that I can remember here. It certainly is. And what we're seeing is, is not necessarily a change in what people think about abortion. Because as I said, since the 1970s, over 70% of people have wanted restrictions on abortion. But what we're seeing is a change in people's willingness to make abortion the issue that they vote on. We're seeing legislators elected because they're pro-life. And that's why we're seeing them bring forward pro-life legislation, because they know their people want it. Yeah, and as we wrap up here on this abortion law, just to circle back in Arkansas specifically, or this pro-life bill, I should really say, uh, it says here that uh, abortion would only be allowed in cases where it's necessary to save the life or preserve the health of the mother or, of course, the baby. Um, but the law doesn't allow for exceptions uh, for rape and incest. I know the governor of Arkansas wanted that in there, but what's your, what's your take on that? I mean, that, that's pretty controversial there. It is a controversial, um, it, it is controversial to not have that exception there, but a child should not be allowed to be killed because of who his or her parents are, mm. right? That, that should have no bearing on whether or not the child is allowed to be killed. Rape is a terrible, terrible thing. And, and we need to work to make sure that the perpetrators of rape are punished and held accountable, but ending the life of the unborn child is not the solution to rape. Yeah. 
Mary uh, Sock, Director of the Center for Human Dignity Family Research Council. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, thanks so much for uh, the time today. Thanks so much for having me. All right, uh, doing an important work over there uh, at the Family Research Council, uh, and they've been really on the front lines of this, if you think about it, for a very long time. And, and I've covered this for a very long time, this issue, obviously, of abortion. Uh, you know, we've heard pro-life, pro-choice. I know some people don't like to hear pro-choice. They want to say, uh, you should say pro-abortion. Look, uh, the, the, the bottom line is this. There has never been in American history right now more momentum for the pro-life movement. You just have to go to those March for Life rallies uh, in D.C. They're held once a year. Uh, it's something President Trump uh, attended, actually, uh, when he was president. And you see all the young folks out there, you know, the 15-year-olds, the 20-year-olds, they're out there marching in unison. This is a generational issue. And unlike same-sex marriage, on the life issue, big deal. It's changing, and it's captured the younger generation. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time for, I always have to look for it, the last sip. We've got a lot going on today in the last sip. We only have three minutes. That's how long this, uh, this block is. So let's get right to it. The poll of the day. The Water Cooler poll of the day. Here we go. I've got, it's the R word, reparations. Buckle your seatbelt for this one. Do you favor or oppose? having the federal government make cash reparations to African-Americans to compensate for the impact of slavery uh, and other forms of legalized discrimination. 15% say, yeah, I I'm into reparations. That's fine. 16% say somewhat, well, possibly. 15% uh, say somewhat opposed. But look at that. Whoa, hello. 43% say strongly oppose reparations. 12%, uh, you know, I don't even want to talk about the not sure people. Madison, let's not even have the not sure people anymore. If they're not sure, why are they on the poll? Whatever. So they're not sure. There it is. Reparations. By the way, in the town of Evanston, Illinois, near Chicago, they're actually uh, implementing reparations. People there, if you have a tie to slavery before like uh, a certain time frame in American history, they're giving out cash money. Uh, it's a long story. Look it up. Google Evanston, Illinois reparations. It's actually happening. All right. Uh, here's something else on the last sip today. <laughs> <laughs> we love the Babylon Bee satire site. God to ignore quarantine and continue <laughs> being everywhere. I'm laughing. I work also at CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network. It makes me laugh. All right. And by the way, uh, here, here's the article, the Babylon Bee. Uh, this, uh, the dateline, by the way, the, is heaven. Uh, that's the location. The CDC now recommends that everyone stay home and avoid going out as much as possible. Despite this, reports are that God is breaking quarantine and going absolutely everywhere. Well, there you go. That was uh, about a year ago or so, and we're coming up on the one-year anniversary. Anniversary? I hate to call it an anniversary. I don't know what it's called. Anyhow, it is just not really that type of anniversary. Uh, nothing to celebrate, uh, but that was a year ago, believe it or not, because uh, it's, uh, you know, it's been a long year. It's been a long year. But God is everywhere, so he has to break quarantine. It would be against human nature. Actually, it would be against God's nature to say, oh, CDC, you want me to quarantine? No, I got you. I'll just like stay in heaven uh, and like double mask up. God's not going to double mask up, all right? He's not going to do that. And by the way, uh, he's not a big fan of all the regulations on churches. So I can confirm that might not be in Leviticus, but that's how God feels. 
Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. End of the show. We're going to go to Nick Ballasey, uh, senior correspondent, justthenews.com, uh, with us. And by the way, Nick, the big controversy, is it Nick or Nicholas uh, regarding your name? What's the preference? This is very important. It's on the record. This is national television, Nick. Well, I think Nicholas looks really nice in the graphic, but you, David, you can call me Nick or Nicholas. <laughs> okay, sounds good. My guess is you've been called worse, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what's going on with the stimulus bill? We know it's been passed. Biden's going to sign it, but there's something inside. What, what's happening with the pensions and, and unions as it relates to this bill? Yeah, so it looks like one of the most overlooked parts of the legislation is the pension bailout, the union-managed pension bailout that's in there. It's $86 billion. It's something that for a while uh, the Teamsters specifically wanted uh, to the point where when Biden was inaugurated, actually right before the inauguration occurred, the Teamsters were pressuring Democratic lawmakers for this pension bailout. And then it wound up being in the stimulus bill that got passed. So it's $86 billion. And when I was writing my piece about this, I couldn't help but remember when I interviewed uh, Gillibrand, Senator Gillibrand, about the HEROES Act, which they were... The Democrats trying to get through, it was $3 trillion, a coronavirus stimulus bill back in September. And I asked her about Republican criticism of the legislation saying it shouldn't be going to unions and they think it's helping unions too much, uh, the, the bill that they were considering at the time, which was a stimulus. And she said, this has nothing to do with unions. Fast forward to now, we have a Democratic president, a Democratic Senate. Democratic House, and they put this $86 billion pension ballot in there. And I think a lot of Americans are wondering why they're not getting pension bailouts or help with their pensions uh, from the government. But it went yeah. to, to union managed pensions here. Yeah, Nick Balsey, I appreciate you, uh, you uh, coming on and telling us about that. Uh, I tell you what, what happened to standalone bills? Can we get a standalone bill? I mean, really, something like that, $86 billion? Anyhow, don't, don't get me going on that. All right, Nick Ballasey, thanks for being here. Uh, I'm going to call you Nick. Uh, you look like a Nick. I don't know. There he is. Look, I mean, no problem. <laughs> that doesn't look like a Nicholas. I mean, don't think of the wrong way. You look like a Nick, like Nick from Philly or something. Anyhow, thank you, Nick. All right. All right, and thank I look you. like, uh, well, whatever. All right, Dave Bratt is on the show tomorrow. I'd like to get my mom on the show. She watches, I think, like, I hope she watches if she's watching. Mom, come on, please.